A word from today's sponsor. Embodia is an all-in-one platform for rehab professionals and our patients. I love using Embodia because it includes a complete practice management for charting, scheduling, billing, and online booking. Plus, Embodia has digital exercise prescription, program monitoring, secure two-way messaging, waitlist management, in-depth reporting, and so much more. As an added bonus, there's a library of continuing education courses and regular live webinars so that you can continue to learn while you build your practice. Visit EmbodiaApp.com and use the code MOMSTRENGTH to get $20 off your first month month's tier three membership. Had I known that infertility was isolating prior to going in my issues, absolutely. But after going through it myself, it was like, oh my gosh, there's no support here. Mm -hmm. And most times what is so challenging is when folks come to you. So there's two parts to it. It's, you know, when I'm doing my evaluation, um, sometimes it looks like this is my problem. How can you fix it? And right. there, and the care model, the Western medicine care model is very much transactional is I'm the one that knows all the information. You come to me with your brokenness and I fix you. Right. Right. And right off the bat. I'm like, this is not what we do here. We are doing shared decision-making. Welcome to mom strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as The Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, and I'm really excited to have on Dr. Yenny Abraham today. Dr. Okay. Yenny is a PT, DPT, and she's a vivacious and forward-thinking pelvic physiotherapist. That's how we say it in Canada, physical <laughs> therapist in the US. Um, and she's also a pelvic educator based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She practices and teaches from a place of purpose to address the fertility concerns pelvic pain, and pregnancy-related conditions women struggle with. As patients, finally called her Dr. Yanni. Her full name is Dr. Olua Yanni. Am I right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> okay. Dr. Yanni is also a mentor, teacher, and practices using gyno-visceral manipulation techniques to treat and manage female mechanical infertility. I am so excited to talk about this. So these skills come into play with hormonal issues, ovulatory concerns, and reproductive diagnoses impacting fertility. So for people I'm assuming who have endometriosis, PCOS, and a variety of other concerns, um, Dr. Yanni is a formidable formidable woman. And I can attest to that. Um, she hails as a proud first generation Nigerian. That's amazing. Um, she's a fertility warrior herself. Who's now a mama with, um, and she's happily married. She's a wonderful mm -hmm. son and she's passionate about mentoring. Um, let's talk about all of this. Dr. Yeah. Yanni, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. So let's talk about First of all, what is infertility for like very yeah. basics and who does it impact? Who can it impact? So clinical, so the clinical definition of infertility is when a heterosexual couple has been having intercourse or unprotected intercourse for a term of 12 months for folks that are 35 and younger or six months for folks that are 35 and above and have not conceived. And so even if you weren't trying, but you weren't avoiding and you didn't even have a surprise pregnancy, we are going to conclude that there might be some fertility problems. Mm. Mm -hmm. And 
what types of conditions can impact this? Yeah. So I think the number one thing that most people are aware of is whenever they have any hormonal issues, right? So that typically presents if you've got a more endocrine um, diagnosis, whether it's thyroid problems or PCOS, that's a pretty common one now. But a lot of people don't also realize that there could be some silent factors that are impacting um, that could have impacted you even from the point of uh, of, of when you were hitting puberty. So sometimes- oh might have had hormonal issues as early as that. Um, we see that folks that are high endurance athletes have a whole a lot of hormonal fluctuation issues, poor time processing cortisol. Um, so there are many reasons why folks have infertility. I think those more nuanced hormonal issues can sometimes be the silent problems that a lot of people are struggling with that they're not aware of. Whereas the more common diagnostic issues like endometriosis, uterine fibroids, if you've had multiple abdominal surgeries and you've got scar tissue, tend to be the more obvious mechanical problems that are impacting fertility chances. So this is something that impacts someone we know and and every single person knows somebody who's dealt with infertility challenges. Can you talk about, um, you can either start with your own experience or maybe talk about your work. What would you like to, I'll leave it up to you. I'll, I'll kind of lunge in here real quick because I think it's really important for people, especially if you're hearing this, that, you know, studies are telling us that one in four to five heterosexual couples in the Western world struggle with infertility. Wow. So this is incredibly common. We will likely all know someone, whether yeah. it's best friend, a cousin, an aunt, and whether that has, is something that is discussed freely or not, you likely know someone or two people even that are, that are struggling with infertility. And so in regards to kind of like my journey, um, so I uh, had, I've always had issues with PCOS since I was younger. It first actually presented more of like, I've had definitely true thyroid issues. So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and then I also had PCOS. And so for a while it presented more of like just that annoying weight gain that you couldn't quite control. But I would say that I, when I was in graduate school, I had a pretty good handle on my hormones. I cleaned up my diet. I was exercising. My periods were pretty regular. And then um, pretty much once I started working, as you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, our jobs don't help. (laughs) Yes, for me, I'm sure you know what it was like those first uh, few years as a new therapist. It was a grind. And I think my body definitely went off track and I just was not as formally regulated. I worked with an incredible endocrinologist who was really trying to help me, but it was very obvious that I was having cycles that I was not ovulating. And so that was my true issue there. And so, um, and so when I did actually start to actively trying to conceive after I got married, um, some of the major issues that I struggled with early on was not necessarily just being able to conceive because I, as, as you could fix the ovulation, you'll end up conceiving was actually my issue was really with my losses. So I still, I suffered uh, several miscarriages. I even suffered infant loss and stillbirth. And it was just a very traumatic and challenging experience. But it's interesting when I discuss my story now, because I didn't initially go into treating fertility conditions because of what I was going through. It mm. just was one of those, like when art imitates life kind of situation, yeah. um, because in the same time, in the same beat, I early on kind of fell into working with folks who had fertility problems. So I'd have these gals that are coming of chronic pelvic pains. Maybe they'd have this like hip bursitis that flares up when they're having, when they're having their period, or they've got this like lumbosacral 
pain, right? I was yeah. in an ortho pelvic floor mix when I first started practicing. And so I, they would come and see me. And then along the way, they would have better cycles and they would have cycles where they essentially weren't ovulating for, but now they're ovulating. So early on, I started to kind of make the connection that there's definitely something that I'm doing as a pelvic floor therapist that is directly impacting this patient's visceral health and their overall reproductive health. And that's when I really started. That's incredible. I mean, it's amazing. I feel so blessed that in our toolbox, we have these resources. It's just about sequencing it, right? And so I yes. started paying attention to the sequence, right? Where there's certain times of the month that maybe I was able to do certain things that the patient then had a more regulated follicular phase, right? Those are the things that I started kind of teasing out. And then I decided I wanted to go get trained because I don't want to just make things up. And I got my visual training through the Baral Institute, which I really owe them so much support because even till today, as long as I've been doing this now, whenever I feel like I need to brush up on some of my skills, I definitely go back to them because they're really advanced in treating organ problems, right? So how that kind of comes together is I'm treating patients, I'm helping them get better cycles. And because they're getting better cycles, they're also, you know, getting pregnant. We're dealing with the mechanical scar tissue problems, but I'm also secretly battling my own fertility challenges. And mm -hmm. I started to kind of make myself a patient, right? Yeah. Um, I started taking my own advice, doing the holistic stuff, uh, collaborating with local interdisciplinary providers um, and marrying both holistic but Western medicine principles to help me conceive and carry to term. And so I was very blessed at the end of the day after several losses to be able to carry to term my wonderful son. And um, it's just really brought so much more value in what I think I offer to my patients because for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm really allowing the personal things that I've gone through to kind of intermingle with my professional uh, yeah. perspective you think that it's bringing value. Yeah, I, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I, no I think so often we think of professionalism from a very, you know, Eurocentric standpoint where we, we right. kind of cut aside our personal and then we're a different person in the workplace. And, you know, we have to hide all these parts of ourselves. And I think as we start to become whole or embrace the whole, you know, who we are, our own life experiences, our own journey, along with our professional experience, I actually think that it helps to better our patient's care. Um, and so I'm so happy to hear that you're doing that. I haven't taken any visceral courses and I keep hearing about this and that is going to be, I think, <laughs> next on my list. Um, so for those of you who are like, what is the visceral? Visceral is all your all of your organs inside your body inside your yeah. abdominal cavity your pelvic cavity there's a lot of things that can happen scar tissue movement restrictions as well as functional restrictions so um you work within all that am i right yeah. yes i definitely do and though visceral work is the core of what i say that i do manually i also do a lot of holistic and lifestyle changes based on evidence-based research so um i think that as pelvic floor therapists, we're uniquely positioned to provide a lot of patient education and honestly, a lot of coaching to our patients that a lot yeah. of wellness providers don't get a chance to. Because think about it, even when patients go to their chiropractor, they get in, they get out, they get adjusted the most, even if they're, they've got a chiropractor or an osteopath that's incredibly generous with their time, the most they're going to spend in there is 15 to 20 minutes, right? Yeah. Where most public floor therapists, and we've seen in best practice, even with folks there in the United States who have cash-based practice, typically spend sometimes anywhere between 60 to 75 minutes with their patients. You get yeah. so much opportunity there to really help patients change their lives, think differently about the way they're eating, 
what they're doing, how they're sleeping, how they're having sex, how they're engaging with the world, how they're thinking about their bodies, how they feel safe in their bodies. So um, I like to always say that infertility is the, the the solution to infertility is sometimes just as complex as the reason behind the infertility. And the complexity is what a lot of people don't want to accept in the Western world because complex scares mm. us. Complexity means there's more time involved. The complexity means there's more personal commitment involved. But what I also see is complexity is an opportunity, right? To stack on multiple modalities at the same time to give me this end result, right? Because most times, yeah, you might have some hormonal issues, but you might have some pain problems too. You might have some high inflammation. If you've got systemic inflammation in your body because you're eating, you know, xeno or xenoestrogens or you're eating a bunch of junk food like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, avoiding eye contact with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Canada, you're I... eating your poutine in Canada. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, being honest, you know, those it's are true, though. It's true. And, and All so the convenience foods, you know, there are some great convenience foods, but in, we live in a society where work comes first. Yeah. We um, put aside our basic needs of eating, yeah. nourishing ourselves, exercise. And yeah. I think that's where the complexity with treating any pelvic pain condition, including fertility Absolutely. comes in. It's like, it's not one thing that caused your problem. So we can't do one thing to solve it either. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's hard to almost accept that for a lot of yes. people too, is because it does feel big to know that you're living in an environment that is not supporting your reproductive needs. Right. Yes. And, and so taking on that responsibility to start to now have to make critical decisions on a day-to-day basis from everything from the kind of scents and perfumes you put on to parabens that you wear in your right. makeup. It gets granular depending on how chronic and challenging your problems are, but these yeah. are important things. And this is why, you know me, I'm big on education is that even though I primarily educate other providers, because I feel like I can reach people better that way. I also make sure I take the time to also educate my patient population and put things in plain language, because I think that knowledge base is so crucial for folks to be able to piece things together, right? So if you've got a, a person who was a D1 athlete who had a terrible groin in- injury and is dealing with some un undistinguished, you know, pelvic pain now, and they're struggling with their periods. And they're like, we're able to now stack the biomechanical problems they're having, the hormonal, potential hormonal issues they're having and treat those at the same time and help help them to be able to achieve their pregnancy goals or their fertility goals. So, yeah. And I'm glad you talked about athletes as well, because I used to be a cross-country runner and cross-country skier. And Um, I saw... Though my periods were, I got periods, I've always had borderline PCOS and they've never been regularly and have all the associated symptoms. But I remember going to school with and training with athletes who never got their periods because they didn't have, they had such low body weight. They didn't eat enough. They overtrained and they did struggle with fertility. Yeah, more they're more likely to struggle with fertility, right? And it's yeah uh, important that we don't just address fertility. I think from what I'm hearing you say is not just when it's time to you're ready to get pregnant, but also yeah. some of these earlier signs that might lead you to think, you know what, these may be issues that I have. So it's never too early to get support from a yeah. pelvic PT who's trained in fertility um, to help even resolve some of that pain and restrictions. Um, can you talk about? This this is something that I see a lot is, um, you know, I'm Indian and there's 
Indians, Indians have no trouble with population, right? Like there's lots yeah. of, there's no problem with fertility. I mean, I, I say that, but there's for sure problems with fertility yeah. anywhere in the world. But I noticed a lot of the Indians who come here, they struggle with fertility. Oh, yeah. Um, and so can you talk, you know, we talked, you touched on environment a little bit, but like yeah. that environmental cultural factors that then weigh in on certain populations more and impact yeah. our fertility more. Can you talk a little bit about that? Thank you so much for bringing that up because I don't think I don't think I've actually even publicly had this conversation with someone, but it's something I think about and talk to my patients about often. There are definitely some cultural um, portions to dealing with infertility. You're very spot on as we have Southeast Asian populations, we have um, African populations, Latin populations that come to the United States. And all, all of a sudden we have these alterations through the reproductive chances. And yeah. I Interestingly enough, I think something that would be great to share if folks are ever interested in combing through some of the updated research in regards to male infertility, because even though a lot of the work that I do is female infertility, what yeah. we're seeing is we are seeing an uptake in male infertility. So the research right. used to state that about 53% of infertility was strictly female related. About 30% of that was potentially a mix. And then they would say anywhere between 29 and 33% would be male infertility. Now they're kind of delineating that. And they're saying about 46% of fertility problems are strictly male related. Wow. And so a lot of times the nuance in cultural communities is to still place it on the female partner. Yes. There's a lot of diet problems. There's a lot of exposure to chemicals and to poor environmental factors or behavioral patterns. You've got truckers who are dealing with vibrational yeah. tension all day and it's affecting, it's affecting their <laughs> Yeah. Right? It's stuff that you don't think about, right? Because you it's just, think, think oh, about. something must be wrong with the woman's body. Right. And if we also know this, something that's kind of interesting, geographically speaking, too, a lot of immigrant communities move to large populated cities and are also yes. exposed to a ton of air pollution. And even though they might have opportunities to move more, the, regardless of that, the mobility does not necessarily support and override what the chemical um, exposure is doing to their bodies. And so if you have someone like myself, I'm, have a, I'm a Nigerian, uh, I come from a Nigerian background who, for the most part, if you're not living in a large city, you live in a regular village town or a regular township in, in Nigeria, you're exposed to really natural foods. You typically, your major form of transportation is often walking or you're doing short car rides to get, I mean, you sleep better. You probably see it between eight to 10 hours a day. I mean, it's so that much. That sounds like a dream. It does, right? Yeah. Listen, body listen why, why did they convince us that that was problematic? <laughs> It you was know? a scam. They scammed us, girl. We went, we went to grad school and we never came out the same. <laughs> That's what happened. Listen, PT school destroyed me. My PT neck, school. my back. Literally, I just never came out the same. So <laughs> it's too funny. But no, yeah, like it's so you have folks that are moving into these really, really poorly regulated environments that are unfortunately contributing to their fertility um, problems. So I think like that's why I would say that there's right when I use the word complexity, people get scared because they're like, yeah. oh, complex means I can't approach this. No, complex means there are many factors involved and we cannot overlook anything. Right. You cannot strictly make this a hormonal problem when the way you're eating it's not supporting the, your body to be a, a appropriate reproductive environment right um so so yeah there's there's so much to discuss there but there are definitely some cultural implications and thank you for sharing the part about 
uh, sex too. Like that men yeah. are also so involved, um, you know, from diet to smoking, to alcohol abuse, to so many different factors and stress, right? So a lot of people, especially if they're newcomers, immigrants, or they're from cultural backgrounds that are more disadvantaged, there's a high amount of stress. And we know that stress impacts every system in our body. And so I think it's really, I feel like there's so much we we do a disservice to people who experience infertility when we're just promoting medical interventions, injections, yeah. and here yeah. this will this will fix everything. And when people actually believe that, and then they have multiple failed attempts at getting pregnant or multiple losses, they blame themselves. When often it's just yeah. a matter of address addressing it from a holistic kind of whole person perspective. Um, yeah. which I agree, it can be overwhelming, but it's also a gift because there's so much. Yeah we realize we can actually control and we understand our bodies better. Yeah. I would, I would like to mention something that's interesting about immigrant communities is because most folks that come here from a different country, the first thing that's on their mind is economical survival. And no one really knows about the implications of building and growing a family when you're trying to economically survive. Right. And so the, the, sometimes the naivety from a lot of immigrant communities, I can even speak to the West African community, immigrant community, is you don't ever think that having babies is going to be the issue. When right. it comes to land, it's all about establishing yourself into a home, getting a good job that you can pay the bills, getting your kids through school, having kids to get them through school. But no one ever stops to think that, oh, what if we don't have kids or what if we have issues having children so I do think that it's important to have those clear communications because I have patients that come in here they're from you know uh, middle eastern communities I have I have a lot of middle eastern community in my area here um where I'm in a pretty diverse area so I see a bit of everyone but it's it's always amazing to me the the schedules are insane so sometimes the couples are not coupling right we're not Yeah, they have they have no time together. They have no time together, and when there is time together, there's all this pressure around intercourse and around ovulation, and right. um, and sometimes we are forgetting we're forgetting our uh, traditional our traditional holistic you know parts of what we know growing up the kind of teas we should be drinking. Yes, doing, right cultural wisdom. Yes. And all of a sudden, immigrant communities are just flocking to Western medicine because they're like, oh, I have access to it. I'm in proximity to it. This must be the only way. And this must be better. Exactly. That part. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, because oftentimes it's weighing, oh, this must be better than what my grandmother did. Right. But the honest truth I have found is there is no between the two. Neither one is good on its own. I think that I have found that most people really do well when there is a genuine combination of the two. And whether that the Western portion looks like true drug intervention, or it just looks like, um, you know, making sure that we're on top of getting lab measures so that we can augment things and we're still doing a lot more holistic things. Nonetheless, I think that people need to be able to access both and know the benefits. Yeah. I love that. Even in terms of uh, what I see a lot is people will come here from India, for example, in their early 20s, late teens, they move here by themselves, they stop eating, they don't have time to eat, they work, they're in school full time, they're trying to work full time, they're trying to do cash jobs just to pay the bills, because you're only allowed to work a limited number of hours, they barely sleep. And so then they get married earlier because of the pressure from their parents, 23, 24, 25, they're getting married, they think they're going to have kids, and then they struggle with infertility. But it's all of those years of high stress, lack of access to your traditional foods. And so you're eating fast food that isn't even 
similar to what you grew up with that your body's like going to reject because it's like, what is this that you're feeding me? Um, and so, yeah, the, everything that you're saying is just so important. And I do think that marrying the two approaches is important too, because sometimes people are just like, I'll just do what the old, the, uh, you know, old wives tales or things like that. And, you know, there is a place for that, but it's not the only thing that's going to work. Um, so. Absolutely. Now tell me about your, Tell me about some of those infertility cases, because I know that you probably have some really challenging ones. So tell me about those. The ones that keep me up at night or the ones that I sleep through? (laughs) (laughs) The ones that keep you up at night, because I think- Most of them do. (laughs) Most of them. And I think a lot of people struggling with infertility think they're the only ones and that they probably have it the worst. Because, you know, in some, some, it's, and I, I cannot speak from a personal perspective because I didn't go through that experience, but- It must be very isolating. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I had I known that infertility was isolating prior to going in my issues. Absolutely. But after going through it myself, it was like, oh, my gosh, there's no support here. Mm -hmm. And most times what is so challenging is when folks come to you. So there's two parts to it. It's, you know, when I'm doing my evaluation, um, sometimes it looks like this is my problem. How can you fix it? And right. there, and the care model, the Western medicine care model is very much transactional is I'm the one that knows all the information. You come to me with your brokenness and I fix you. Right. Right. And right off the bat. I'm like, this is not what we do here. We are doing shared decision-making. We are going to sit through and talk through what's happening with you. What's and you're going to take responsibility and I'm going to come with what I know how to do and serve you with the best of my abilities but we do not get to dump this you do not get to take a pill and call into a doctor and the doctor tells you what to do with your body no right we get to understand what's going on with your body and then the second thing that I see a lot of when I evaluate my patients is the dumping right is that like no one has ever even asked me these questions I'm overwhelmed I have all this emotional storage I've been defeated and I'm done yeah. I'm going to start dumping this information and I don't mean that negatively but it's honestly uh it's such a great starting point I think for a lot of people and I, I think the, the the hardest cases for me that come to mind are my women that are between the ages of about 37 to 42 mm. I would the majority of the age group that I see and they would have, they have some underlying inflammatory issue, high stress job. They work in high stress corporate environments. They've been Mm. exposed to, you know, they've had to be at the top of their career for a long time. And now they're in this place where it's become very apparent to them with or without a diagnosis. And most of the diagnosis I see in that age group is actually uterine fibroids, funny enough. Um, It's not endo. Endo is typically for the younger girls, but it's Mm. the uterine fibroids issue is what I see the most in this age group. And most of the time it's this fear around surgery. It's this fear of, okay, will the fibroids, me taking this fibroids actually do anything? I'm already getting older. And so I spend so much time in with us decongesting fear, changing patterns of thinking and helping them, equipping them to just simplify. Because a lot of times those people do not want to hire five people in the wellness space, five different types of providers, right? They'll they'll commit to going to a dietitian if I absolutely say they need to, right? They'll commit to doing some mental health work with a provider as well. But what they're not going to do is they're not going to go to the Reiki healer and the acupuncturist and me and, you know, because they don't have the time. Yeah. And they're already so packed. Right. Time is, I think we know this, but in the fertility world, time is the number one currency that is spoken. It is 
it is the thing that is chasing people when they're struggling with infertilities. I don't have enough time, right? And so the honest truth is there's a lot of people that are struggling to navigate the time issue, right? Um, and so when you, someone comes to you and they're telling you, I don't have enough time. I feel like my biological clock is ticking. I'm working in such a high stress job. I have to plan to be here, right? What are we going to do? Then it's about meeting people where they are and being able to provide some support. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have so many people in that age group that keep me up at night because I know it's going to take a lot of changes to yeah. the way that they eat, what supplements they're using, how they're having sex, if they're having sex. And sometimes the number one thing I do is we talk, we talk about sexual wellness first, right? Right. Our- having orgasms, helping, educating patients and helping them know that, Hey, your uterus needs a workout and an orgasm is a workout. It does. And and it needs pleasure. It's not going to welcome any, any sperm up in there. If it's just not getting what it needs. Exactly. I need oxytocin release. I need, I need there to be a prolactin release when you have this orgasm. We're not just going to go in dry and just have sex around the time when we're supposed to conceive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> it's still a thing one of my number one questions i ask is like okay are you having intercourse if the answer is yes if it's a heterosexual couple are you having intercourse and then the next thing is how often and you should see their faces Subri. like it's always <laughs> <laughs> they're like um <laughs> oh, it's fine. frequency what do you mean by frequency and then it's like hey this is a no judgment zone but are yeah, we yeah. even having or have we honestly gotten to a place in this rhythm where we're only doing it around the time During of ovulation? The ovulation. Yeah. 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 I think those are all really important points. And I see a lot of it, maybe not even people who struggle with fertility, but people who, let's say, if they've already had kids, but in that age group, they're very busy with jobs and yeah. they don't have time yeah. for treating their leaks or symptoms or pain uh, or their oh, yeah. fitness. And so we live in a culture where women are being more sustainable are more successful in their workplace, but it's also like workplaces are toxic work environments where they expect you to just perform at this, like you're in this hamster wheel of work, 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 and there's no end to it. And so you want to succeed, but like, again, it's like so many different layers that we don't have control over. So after a certain point, it's like, you have to make those changes for your body or not and live with the consequences, whether they're positive consequences or negative. Right. And so these are really challenging conversations. And I think the, honestly, the elephant in the fertility room per se is, is advanced maternal age. It's the fact that women are having babies later and it is caught there because biologically speaking, we are at our reproductive prime between the ages of 23 and 27, you know? What? And so that's young. I know wow. Wow. 23 to 27. Yeah. But guess what? 40 years ago, that was not young, right? That was, that was the average. Incredible. Yeah. And even someone at 27, I remember when I was reading, because I'm, I'm a history geek, geek, but I was reading even like, uh, you know, the requirements for flight attendants in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. They had to be up. And they couldn't be over the age of 27 because they were considered old at that point. Right. So you have to understand that as a society, our perspective as women, because we've we've come out front, we've asserted ourselves into the public, into the working space, into entrepreneurism. We have shifted what is acceptable now when it comes to reproduction. So a lot of times we are not settling into a space to actually start our families until we're in our early to mid 
30s, right? Yeah. And so think about that 37 to 42 age group I was mentioning, I see a lot of in my practice. Those are people that are actually reaching a career peak, right? This is yes. the time where there are so many opportunities now people are accessing in their careers and they, they cannot throw off their momentum, right? There's yeah. too many. I'm no longer, they're no longer the 30 year old that still has maybe two or three chances and she can still move laterally, you know, in her career. Like now, once you're in getting 40, you've really got to establish yourself because you only got 10 to 12 good solid working years left until it's time to decline in your work status and retire. And so advanced maternal age is such a big part of this. And there's so much interesting research about it, but the uptake in folks accessing reproductive support is in parallel to advanced maternal age. The later women are having babies, the more they need help. Right. And the only help that is out there for a lot of people is just IVF. Right. But now we're starting to see more acceptance of research. Right. That is just saying that now we need to give so many more options to women outside of just medical, you know, drugs or injections, like you said, or IVF. They need more comprehensive support to actually achieve these fertility goals. Now, for someone who, let's say, hasn't tried for six months and they're above the age of 35, but they're suspecting maybe I'll have trouble. Would coming to see someone like you preemptively still be helpful as like kind of a fertility screen? Yes. And I thank you for using the word screen because that's appropriate. I think um, a lot of times because when folks think, oh, well, you're still a physical therapist. What exactly are you going to be doing? You know, I'm not really sure what what are you going to be? And I'm like, I am a physical therapist. I'm a pelvic floor therapist and I specialize in infertility. So I'm going to be a pelvic floor therapist first. I'm going to do an, a, a vaginal exam on you. We're going to do a pelvic exam on you. We're going to check out your vulva. We're going to do sexual health and education. I'm also going to look at your bowel, bladder, right, function. But I'm also going to look at your viscera. Are there, is there any immobility, right? We're going to look at your history comprehensively. Are there any red flags? Maybe there's some genealogy there. Maybe there's been some infertility in your family, right? And so what it does is it helps people in in those kind of screening visits, right? Or those kind of what I call like those exploratory visits is people get, to clarify um, their and understand when to prioritize their reproductive decisions. Because a lot of times if I'll have, and I, I can't tell you, I remember I had a patient that just came to mind. She was diagnosed with primary or premature ovarian failure at the age of 22. And the only reason, and then if anyone doesn't know about premature ovarian failure, it's essentially when your ovaries begin to shut down and essentially do not create enough follicular activity for you to still be able to create eggs. And so essentially you go, your ovaries going to menopause much sooner. We're talking about, you wow. know, low uh, anti-malarian hormone, which is our major fertility indicator, right? That number drops into the dumps by the time they're in their mid thirties, right? And so wow. most people who have premature ovarian failure end up needing a donor egg because they're not able to produce their own eggs, right? And so I had this patient, she was she was diagnosed at 22 years old. Super, the only reason why she knew that was because she was married at 20. Now, how many of us are getting married that young? Uh, yeah. We don't, yeah. but she had her and her best friend got married really young. They're a super cute couple. And they've been trying pretty much off the bat for two years. And she couldn't conceive. And so she went into diagnostic information and got that diagnosis. Because she did that, she was able to go through IVF, right? And she was able to conceive her first child. Her first, uh, her first child. So I think that information for her, she was just a best case scenario. Yeah, it was, she was young. She caught it early on. 
she accessed the accessed the information. And when she went to have her second child, you know, she came to me because she knew she, for sure she was going to have to do an IVF transfer. And she knew there were so many things that um, didn't go the greatest in her first pregnancy that she wanted to address. And so I say that to say that the honest truth is the lateness of things is, is a big challenge. Um, unfortunately, we, you know, I think it would be so nice if everyone got a screening if they got the labs done, and I say it now, I'm in a Christian community. I tell a lot of people like, hey, when you're when you're dating somebody and you're seriously courting them and your guys are looking to get married, y'all should be doing some genetic testing and y'all should be doing some reproductive testing mm. because the better you know going into the union yeah. where the, if there are problems, we yeah. cannot, and because it creates so much mental and emotional havoc on couples yeah. when they have to find out. And it's a surprise, yeah. Yeah. There's lots of blame and anger and yeah. And a lot of people, let's be honest, a lot of couples don't recover from the disappointment around infertility. Right. I've heard couples that come in here that, hey, my my first marriage didn't work because we couldn't have kids. So I'm in my second marriage now. We just got married three months ago. That's why I'm here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's all fantastic points. And um, one of the things that I always dreamed of having uh, my first child at 27. Like when I was young, I was like, yeah, that's oh, yeah. old. You know, 27 is <laughs> old enough. And then I had my first child at 32, which again is still young for the average mm-hmm. people in Toronto is a big yeah. city. People are yeah. having kids later, um, depending on the culture and community that, that I will say, but right. I do notice when they're younger, they just recover faster. They get pregnant oh, yeah. more easily. Everything is easier. T- tell me about the fibroids because there are more and more people having fibroids. What are some symptoms yeah. and what are some indicators that people may need some diagnosis or diagnosis? Sure. So the, re- the studies tell us now about 80% of women during their lifetime will have fibroids. All right. And so that's a big population. That's a big number. And we're talking about all races, all backgrounds, 80%, right? Well, we do know that African-American women are 2.5% like mm-hmm. higher likely to actually have uterine fibroids. And so fibroids are non-cancerous growths that can happen inside the uterus, outside of the uterus. So we name them by location, whether they're in the wall of the uterus, they're internal, they're external. Those are things that do matter. But I will say that one of the most, um, I will say that there is a large uh, population of people who have fibroids that are asymptomatic, right? The only reason why we end up maybe having to excite or to uh, take out the fibroids is maybe because the fibroids are internal and they're impacting the ability for a baby to implant. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why we take them out. That's more of a safety measure because best case scenario, we don't want a fibroid in with a growing baby. Because fibroids that are grow with growing baby, they do uh, they do respond to the hormonal activity around the fetus and the vascular activity in the uterus and can grow up to sometimes two to four times the size of the growing fetus and cause a lot of challenges, right? And so doesn't I've mean had a that- couple of clients who've had that. Oh yeah. So it doesn't yeah. mean that people still don't get pregnant and don't carry, you know, but that's, they're considered high risk. Right. But if you are not pregnant and you happen to be symptomatic, most of the more, more common symptoms is we have undistinguished, uh, we have, we have, un, uh, the best way I could say is that there's, there's an, an unclear explanation as to why we have chronic bloating. So it's not GI related. It tends to be some kind of abdominal distension going on. 
Um, sometimes people feel a firmness in the skin. So not necessarily hard, but just firm and uncomfortable. And they kind of just always feel like they have a pooch, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the most common ones. Now, when it comes to pain, pain is typically more persistent around the time of the period. So during the bleeding process, during the menses. Um, and if you know anything about menstrual cycles, uterus has to cramp. So if we have, if we have fibroids intrauterine during that cramping, it can be incredibly painful. Also a pretty remarkable sign is heavy, heavy bleeding in dark color. So if there's the bleeding is an arrest color or really dark and brown and it's, mm. there's clotting involved, there's a likelihood that we're struggling with fibroids as well. Fibroids can sometimes also hang out um, around the ovaries as well. So they're just not just around the uterus, but they do take up geographically. And I will say extra uterine fibroids are the ones that tend to grow the fastest and the largest, right? And so they take in a lot of space, they crowd quite a bit, they can create a lot of pelvic congestion, reduce blood flow into other pelvic organs. Um, sometimes when they're really chronic and large, I have patients that have pain with defecation, chronic mm. constipation. Um, and a major one that I see a ton of is increased or, or increased urination. So urinary, urinary frequency is mm. the, a major, major one that I see in a lot of people with uterine fibroids. That's thank you for sharing that, because I think given that 80% of people will have it at some point, they're yeah. more common than we think. And a lot of it's a lot of the times it's missed as a potential, uh, diagnosis or condition. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important for us as pelvic PTs and just whoever's listening to this to consider this in your, you know, <laughs> consider that you might have this if you're having some of those symptoms and it's not always endometriosis, right? You can have fibroids oh. outside of endometriosis. Um, yes. Okay. Tell me about, you have a whole specialty program. Tell me a little bit about that because <laughs> I'm so excited about this and I will take this one day. Oh, oh my gosh. I'd love to have you sincerely. So I cannot tell you how honored I feel to have developed this certification for our field. Um, so it is called the Pelvic Rehab Fertility Specialist. It is a certification, a very comprehensive certification for pelvic rehab providers. And so that does include physiotherapists, occupational therapists. It also includes um, physician assistants, as well as nurse practitioners, MDs, and DOs. So it is for Amazing. folks who truly who truly provide pelvic rehabilitation in their field. And essentially it takes you, um, it takes you into self-paced pre-course work that you can do to expose you to fertility backgrounds, menstrual cycles, how to cycle, how to evaluate your patients. And then we get to have tons of fun and we get to have some online live course, a, a live course portion for about 12 weeks. It's incredibly manageable because I know a lot of people want to think 12 weeks, oh my God, but it's very manageable. It's an, it's an, it's a private community online, it's a cohort, and you literally get to um, win over not only just taking the course, but you get an immediate community of pelvic rehab fertility providers right then and there. You get your people, your clinical support system, because a lot of us are, are solo. You know, we're not, yeah. we, don't get, we don't have a huge staff to always talk to. So for me, it was also about not just creating a course that folks just self-paced and then that's the end of that, but creating a community where people can, hey, jump off ideas off of each other and we can always support each other other and learn um, more clinical information as, as evidence is coming up. So after you take the 12 week course, you could take a lab course in any city. That's a really major um, component of it because it is the major in-person portion of the certification. And then um, 
Um, and folks do have about 18 months after they take the cohort to get a lab done. So that gets to folks that's awesome. times. Yeah. And that's really right. Cause a lot can happen. You can get pregnant, you get married. You exactly. Get <laughs> are you coming in? Are any of the labs in Canada in Toronto? Close. I am definitely putting Toronto on the map in 2025, but okay. I am coming close. I'm going to be in New York city. So that's the that's closest I'm getting in Toronto, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, the only thing we ask to complete is that you just got to submit a case, a uh, case study, and you take a quick test online and you get certified and you get to that's use incredible. ERFS behind your name. And um, you only have to recertify every four years. So it's a way to keep up with the, cl the clinical competency and standards in our field. And because I know it's going to grow, we're seeing too much infertility for us to not have this in our field. And so yeah. the idea is to help providers really feel like they have some standardization. I think this is incredible. The pelvic rehab fertility specialist, um, the fact that we're, this even exists is like a <laughs> testament to the body of your journey with your own personal journey, your work experience, even prior to you, you know, going through your own infertility journey. Um, and I'm so excited that you're offering this because there's nothing like this that exists right now. Um, mm -hmm. And the in-person component, as well as the, the online component and the it sounds like there's a lot of mentorship that people are getting through sure. this um, specialty as well. Yes. When's the next cohort? So our first cohort is already full and it, it starts in yes. January. Yes. And I'm so excited about that. That was just such a blessing in itself. But we are going to, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys now, our second cohort is going to begin in March of 2024. And so we have already been filling up a good wait list for that. And so if you're interested, um, um, signups have not started yet, go ahead and email us at pa at triggeredpt.com and our amazing team will respond to you. I also kind of just wanted to shout out my uh, amazing team of providers that are going to be teaching with me. I've got Dr. Nikos Gafka, who is a phenomenal MD who's coming on board. We have um, Dr. Danielle DeRoche as well, who's a naturopathic doctor. And I also have Sonia um, Okolo, who's a phenomenal colleague of mine who just creates such holistic magic. And so my team is amazing and I cannot wait to serve the next cohort. Hopefully folks can cop on and join, but it's going to be great. Amazing. I will definitely share the details and the link to all of that. And yeah. when I share this uh, podcast, um, tell me a little bit about your business and mentorship offerings right now, because I know that you not only you're, you're a very busy woman, you do <laughs> a lot, but you also mentor other people. So tell me a bit about that. I do. And so it's funny because I kind of do it. I've always kind of done it under the wraps. <laughs> yes. But yeah. I do provide business mentorship. And I feel like sometimes folks just don't know how to like bring all this together, bring the clinical information and also the business side. And so yeah. being a private practice for a while now has kind of exposed me to a, taught a lot of trial and error. And I do think that once you specialize even further as a public work therapist, you do need guidance to get this right. You do need to know how to talk the talk and walk the walk with um, the, uh, the interdisciplinary team you're going to need. And so I do provide one-on-one. -on -one. I do. I also have office hours every month that I have open so folks can always sign up and we do click case reviews. Um, I have tons of master classes and courses online that you can just purchase to help with just specific topics, everything from endo and adenomyosis to even how to treat patients that have irregular periods. Um, and then a lot of times what's great is folks take that class and it's very clear to them that they need that clinical and overall mentorship. And so um, in that case, just go ahead and email us and we'll get you signed up. That's incredible. I have some questions for you about yeah. just um, what you do for yourself. So first question, <laughs> what are three simple things you like to do for yourself every day for self-care? 
Oh man. All right. So I would say I try to spend some time in prayer. Um, I think that's a main thing that I like to start my day off is just in a word of prayer. And I like to read at least one scripture to get my day started, to get my mind grounded. Um, Second thing I do, I would say maybe I do this every week is I try to find alone time. And most time that alone time looks like just stopping over for a cup of coffee and sitting for about 15 to 20 minutes, not looking at just by yourself yeah. by myself. Um, I, I thought I was an extrovert this whole time. It's a lie. <laughs> once I, once I, I'm went, the same, <laughs> it's like, once you get into your thirties, you're like, no, I want to be alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, give me as much alone time like as possible. I love people, <laughs> but like, we, we also work in jobs where we're talking to people all day. So it's all a lot of talking day. and a lot of people time. So exactly. And the third thing that I genuinely love to do for myself is I love to move. I like to take walks where I can think and I can um, be around nature. Sometimes I like to just kind of walk into an area or go into a new area and check out foliage. Like I just enjoy Same. allowing nature to kind of, you know, give me back what I need. That's incredible. Um, I always love this question because it shows us how doable self-care is and yeah. that it's not. Nobody ever says I have a bubble bath every day or I put, you know, like what people are marketed (laughs) self-care versus what true self-care actually is, is taking care of yourself. Um, Thank you. What is something that you're really passionate about right now? So you've just shared about all of your exciting fertility certification, but yeah, tell me. Yeah. Aside from just the fertility work, because I think I've spoken so much about that. I think I'm also very passionate about prioritizing my happiness and my joy. I think that's something that I've started to really sit in in this year is no longer compromising what brings me joy, whether that's in the kind of people I choose to spend my time with, the friends that I have relation, you know, relationships with, even the way that I work. It's super easy as providers to get burnt out in this work and to just work so much and yeah. you take so much and I've just started to get to this place where I'm just no longer compromising my happiness. If it don't yes. feel, I don't want it. You know, like I need to, I need to be at peace with myself when I go to sleep at night. I need to be super happy. And um, I want to be able to spend, you know, spend time with my family and my son and my husband. And like, those are the things that make me happy. And so I no longer compromise that on that anymore. This is what I love about getting older is like, you get yeah. more, you just, know your priorities, right? Yeah. When you're younger, you think I, I got to do this. I got to do that. Everyone's gotta be doing everywhere. This. Right. And now you're like, everywhere's still going to be here at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How old is your son? So my son is only 13 months. He's a little oh. guy. Yeah. Oh so, my gosh. So you're like, that's busy too. Yeah. That is a very busy season. And I think I've learned that you can't really, you can't, there's no way to make things less busy. Right. So I can't make anyone less busy. I can't make him not be a toddler right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What I can do is I can force myself to be still. Yes. Force myself to be more present and sit in my body more and be more aware of what my needs are on a weekly and a daily basis and learn to be honest about what my needs are and um, love my family and serve the people around me from that place. Amazing. Yeah. 13 months to like, basically till he's three and a half, four. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just busy. Ma- I mean, yeah. I, I see my friends. I'm like, oh, this doesn't stop. Okay, great. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's a lie. We, we feed new moms. Oh, it gets easier. It does in many ways, but it also gets yeah. busier. So don't put off self-care. Don't put off yeah. movement if that makes you happy because it doesn't get yeah. easier when they get older than they have activities really? and just never ends right um if you could change one thing about the world what would it be oh my gosh war 
I just, I can't do it. <laughs> like world peace. <laughs> like that's a common pageant answer. But um, <laughs> I think my first, honestly, my main honest answer is I'm very grieved by what's going on um, with the conflict in Gaza right now and the Palestinians. It's just, I, it doesn't matter how I navigate my life right now. I can't stop thinking about them. And so I pray for them often. And I just wish that that wasn't a thing. I wish there was a way that um, people that had conflict did it without, you know, without harming innocent and lives, violence. you know, that's yeah. in violence. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Conflict resolution skills are like, and this is, this is why I'm so passionate about even parenting because what we teach in our homes and in our communities and how we impact the people we work with, it matters. Right. And um, I just think about people around the world who don't have access to any support and they're right. in they, just because they, they're born in the wrong place, not even the wrong place, but because people are yeah. treating them incorrectly, they just suffer for no reason. So um, I think the world peace answer is, is popular because it's true, right? Like we've been, it's 2023 and we're still begging for the same thing that we wished upon a hundred years ago and 200 years ago. It's crazy. Yeah. It, doesn't it make is. Sense. Tell me, what do you think is your mom's strength? Oh man. I mean, I kind of shared already, but my ability to show up for myself, um, I've learned very quickly that if I'm not good, no one else is going to be good in the house. And so I am quick <laughs> to say I need it facial, take the kid. Um, I need support, you know, go to grandma's for a couple hours. I am super, and I don't, I think my mom's strength is also, I don't feel a ton of mom guilt because I know that when I'm good, I'm able to be an awesome mom. I will be a very present wife. And I have really embraced that unapologetically. Like you're not going to shame me not being here at every minute when I need to go lay down somewhere unstimulated. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I am on board with that. I, uh, yeah, my husband often takes the kids to the park and I'm sure people are like, why is it only the dad here? It's like, well, you know what? Because he's a parent. Exactly. He's part It takes two to tango. (laughs) It does. It does. And for, um, thank you for sharing everything, um, about infertility, your journey, your program, your mentorship, And just your energy, I think you come from a space of really serving the whole person and the whole human without um, judgment and while also using a research and evidence-based approach um, to best deliver, you know, the most up-to-date care for your clients. And I'm so excited. I'm definitely going to be taking your pelvic rehab uh, fertility specialty specialty program. Um, Maybe not in March, but definitely will. (laughs) For anyone who's listening and you're in Toronto, um, yes, let's get Yenny in Toronto as soon I as I know. No, I am literally, I was literally speaking to my team the other day. We have decided we are going to go to globally in a couple of countries in 2025 for sure. So it's coming. We've I'm had so excited. Already. So we're going to, we're definitely, we put that at the top of the list. But You have um, a I'm, huge fan base in Toronto. So I, yeah, I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there will definitely be people who are excited to meet you and learn from you and. Uh, all the things sincerely I would sincerely thank you so much for having me I enjoy this conversation Um, and if you're listening to this episode if you're going through infertility if you work with someone with infertility if you know anyone with infertility please share this episode with them go check out Dr. Yanni's website I think it's triggeredpt.com 
Yeah, so if you uh, need clinical support, it'd be triggerpt.com. But if you are a provider and you're looking to learn, it'd be triggeredacademy.com. Oh, that's easy. Triggeredacademy.com. And what is your Instagram handle? So people can so find it'd you. Be, yeah, it'd be at triggeredpt. Easy, easy enough. That's where you can connect <laughs> with Dr. Annie. Go share this episode on Instagram if you listen to this and tag us and let us know what you think. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.